0: Um, we have, we're going to continue in our study uh, through knowing God. And so we, we back when I first got here, uh, just for anybody that's, that's new or hasn't been here in a while, when I first got here, we started uh, diving into the scriptures in sort of a different way than we do typically on a Sunday morning, um, through either the uh, preaching or through small group. We kind of tried to look at, more of a systematic approach in knowing how we understand who God is. And so we started way back then, if you can remember all the way back then, with the Bible as the inerrant, uh, infallible Word of God. And and this is how God has revealed Himself to us um, in several ways, all of which were his, his, His direct Word. One was through the prophets of old. He put His His voice in their mouth. And he told them that I'm going to put my words in your mouth and you're going to go speak for me. We heard the word of God through the prophets. We've heard um, the word of God through uh, Jesus Christ who came in. We've heard the word of God uh, audibly in some cases in both the Old and New Testament. God actually literally speaks. And we hear it that way. But we also now what we have really is the Word of God uh, written down for us. These sixty-six books—they're inerrant, infallible, and they truly do—they truly are the words of God. And so, this is how we uh, know who God is. Is how what we can we can trust that what we're learning is actually true of who God is. That doesn't mean we know it all, that doesn't mean we have it all figured out, but it does mean that he's actually revealed this to us, and the more we study, the more we'll grow in understanding of who God is. And then we went in to talk about God the Father, and who he is, and the fact that he has some attributes that he shares with us, we call those communicable attributes, attributes that he has that he shares with us. He is all loving, and he has given to us the ability to love, and shown us what love is as an example. But then there are also some attributes of God that he keeps for himself, incommunicable attributes, Um, his eternality, his timelessness, his his omnipresence, his omniscience, these kinds of things that he keeps for himself, and these are uniquely uh, God's. And I think that's really important to build that foundation so we know who this God that we worship is. And then we looked at the created world around us and the world that God has made and and what uh, he testifies to his making in the scriptures. And so we looked at Genesis 1 and 2, and we saw what, um, what God has done there in creation, and we talked a little bit about that for several weeks. And, um, and the main reason that I, that I really want to do this and, and, and take this approach is not only because it's a little bit different than, say, like a, like a Sunday morning where I'm preaching from the pulpit or even teaching Sunday school through a book of the Bible— I wanted to do this approach because on Wednesday night because it allows us to explore some things that normally we wouldn't get into, at least we wouldn't get into in any kind of depth. And so I wanted us to be able to take some of these topics that sometimes are a little bit off the beaten path, that we don't even really think about very much, and kind of reconcile all of these verses that are across all 66 books and bring them all together and kind of say, what do they say about God? And so that's led us now, after we've talked about creation, well, that's, that's one thing. The other thing, that I, other thing that I really wanted to do was also talk about what has been believed everywhere, always, and by all. What are the consistent doctrines of the Christian church? What do we hold in a closed hand? What kinds of things do we cl- hold in a closed hand? And so as we've gone through these topics, we've seen, okay, here's some things that we cannot give up under any circumstances or we're no longer Christian. But then there are some other things over here that are really confusing and we don't fully understand that we can kind of hold in an open hand and we can say maybe this or maybe that. And so through all of that, we talked about creation and a couple of different views of the way people read Genesis 1 and 2. And now we're into uh, God's created order, his created world. And so we've stepped into the unseen realm. <laughs> That's probably not the best way of saying that, but we have, we're, we're looking at the unseen realm. That's probably also not the best way to say it. But you know what I'm talking about. We're looking at what Scripture has to say about all things unseen. Uh, So we spent the last few weeks talking about things that you typically hear. Uh, Angels, demons, Satan, some very just in general, these are things that pretty much everybody really, at least more or less, agrees on in terms of where demons came from, where angels came from, and all of these kinds of things, what purpose they serve, and that sort of stuff. This week, however, we're going to start kind of going down the rabbit hole just a little bit, okay? And you're going to have to follow me. Now, um, when it comes to angels, demons, the unseen realm, that's not a topic that we spend a lot of time talking about. But as we've already seen in the last few weeks even, the Bible is not silent on this. It's not as though we don't talk about it because there's nothing in there. We don't talk about it because it's Confusing in some cases. We don't, it's hard to wrap our mind around. So, with that in mind, what we're looking at in more of the unusual side, we've talked about the usual side, now we're looking at the unusual side. There's some things tonight and for the next couple of weeks that are probably going to be a little bit uh, foreign to you, maybe things that you haven't really heard before. We're probably going to go into some passages, maybe even passages in the Bible that you've never read before. Or never looked at in this way, and so just bear with me um, that what we're gonna what we're gonna talk about may seem a little bit strange for you, but but that's okay. As we go into it, we'll be able to ask questions. Hopefully, there will be enough time tonight. Um, if not, we will have time for for questions um, in in terms of the the material. So. What, what I think is helpful as we get started in so, sort of the unusual is to kind of lay the groundwork for some passages that we'll cover in the next couple of weeks. And when we typically think of the unseen realm, we usually have a pretty flat view of the, the un, unseen realm. A, a flat hierarchy is how we look at it. That first blank there, in the modern view, the unseen realm has a relatively flat hierarchy. And what I mean by that. Is we usually think about the triune Godhead? Okay, he's part of the unseen realm: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then after that, uh, below him are some uh, some angels, which is broadly categorized them angels. And we know we've talked about there's good and bad angels, and so we usually kind of say, okay, there's good and bad angels. And then there's some uh, kind of weird creatures in Ezekiel and Revelation that we see on occasion. There's the seraphim and cherubim in Isaiah and a couple other places. And then beyond that, we're like, we kind of lump them into the angelic category and then just go, that's, that's really it. That's all that I know about. And so we're going to step back, right? And so it, it, it creates this really flat hierarchy where it's, it's God and then some angelic forces and then that's it in the unseen realm. And then over here, we have the seen realm. We know what's in that. Well, we got humans we got chimpanzees and gorillas, and we got all the way down to bugs and insects and all kinds of things in the scene realm. We're we're, we're pretty comfortable with that because I can see it. Even some of the bugs, though, I'm not we're not comfortable with, right? Um, but but in in the scene realm, we have this we have this large a lot of creatures and running everywhere and all kinds of things, right? Well, viewing the heavenly structure this way in this sort of flat way. Make some passages really confusing um or difficult to interpret and some of those passages we're going to look at tonight like psalm eighty two one and six uh, you probably have psalm eighty one there in your notes and that should be psalm eighty two uh you you should have the right verses on your verse list but there i mentioned psalm eighty and that should be psalm eighty two one and six job thirty eight seven we're going to read some of those tonight and and plenty of others where there just seems to be some other creatures there that, or, or some other beings there that we're not quite sure what to, to make out of. So um, it's probable then that the unseen realm, instead of being a flat hierarchy and our seen realm being a robust hierarchy, with lots of things here, it's more probable that what the Bible is actually depicting of the unseen realm is a much larger structure, Uh, a, a structure where, where, um, where in the unseen realm, uh, it's, it's much broader, much more diverse in its structure, its hierarchy and bureaucracy. And so what I mean by those terms, structure, hierarchy, and bureaucracy, bureaucracy gets a really bad rap nowadays, right? Um, And I'm not trying to say that there's a DMV in the spiritual world. Okay, that's not what I mean by bureaucracy. It's got a really bad connotation. Bureaucracy, just a um, a power and decision-making. We typically think of power and decision-making with God alone. And I don't think that's what necessarily the Bible depicts. Now, we'll we'll talk more about that and kind of explain a little bit more about that. But um, that there's a bureaucracy, that there's a a decision-making process, a council, if you will, um, there is hierarchy, meaning that there is rank amongst creatures; that there is some kind of rank that's given to us in the scripture. That's that's kind of may not be detailed, but is is evident that there is some sort of hierarchy, and then a structure, meaning that there are different uh, creatures that do different roles. We see in Ezekiel <laughs> and Revelation these creatures that are there. Um, we don't really know what to make of. We've got cherubim and seraphim. We talked about a few weeks ago that sort of guard the throne of God and sing praises. And we don't see them very often in Scripture. And then we have angels who do who who give messages and things like this. And so there's a there's a structure to it. Everybody has their purpose. Um, so as far as a, by way of introduction, does that make sense that there that there in the in the unseen realm? There's probably a little bit more breadth and depth than we traditionally think of in that kind of flat structure. Questions on that? you think I can answer before we get going? Okay, just making sure that was... Um, so let's look at a couple of these passages. Um, now, chronologically, the first picture that we get of the unseen realm is the sons of God shouting for joy when God laid the foundations of the world in Job 38, 4 to 7. The sons of God. And so this is our first little introduction. Um, And I say chronologically, not that Job comes before Genesis, but that that in in this passage in Job, Job is, or God is really describing the creation event to Job. So this is... The, the time period that God is talking about is right there in Genesis 1, maybe even just a hair before it or like right as it's as it's happening in Genesis 1. So let's look at, at our passage list there. You have um, Job 38, 4 to 7. Will somebody read that out loud? When the morning stars sing together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. All right, so here are this, here's these, uh, these characters, these creatures, these beings, that as God is laying the foundations of the world, they're going, ha-ha! Right? They're, they're there in sort of a chorus, uh, shouting for joy, you know, as each continent takes its shape, or whatever. You know, as the foundations of the world are laid, and I, I think we might think of them. This this next uh, little bullet point here. We might think of them as angels. A lot of times, we probably do. They get explained as as just angels, but that's not exactly precise in in the ancient Semitic world. So. What what we think about scripture is that obviously the people that are in the Old Testament that are writing this down are also, they also have brains, they also have a cultural worldview, they also think like Semitic people, and this makes sense to them. In a Semitic worldview, um, a term like sons of God is a phrase that's used to identify divine beings with higher level responsibilities. And jurisdictions, the term angel describes an important but still lesser task of delivering messages. So we see this uh, commonly even in the New Testament. The word angelos, which is where we get our word angel, it means messenger. So an angel, we talked about, is is really his responsibility is to deliver messages to us, to ministering spirits in some way. But that's not how they're named in Job. They're not named as messengers. They're named as sons of God. And if it was by itself, and that was the only reference ever in the Old Testament to something like that, we would probably step away and go, eh, angels, probably, whatever. Right? But... What we see is that there's actually a little bit broader description. Keep looking at that passage in Job 38. It says that the sons of God there are referred to as morning stars. All right? They're referred to as morning stars. Now, it's, it's sort of a, a, uh, morning stars are sort of a metaphor. Do you know what morning stars are? Think about it. There's the morning. The sun is rising. The morning stars are stars that you can still see while the sun is coming up, Right? So they're described as morning stars because typically that morning star kind of sig- signals a, a new day is dawning, right? Well, these, they're described as morning stars because here as creation itself, the world itself has this new day. Here these morning stars are standing there in the chorus of heaven singing as God creates this kind of first day. So there's this kind of metaphorical representation for these sons of God as being uh, bright morning stars. Now, hopefully, over the last few weeks, as we've talked about, remember Satan? There's a passage about Lucifer falling. And we saw that in Isaiah 14. And we talked about there's some ambiguity there. But how is it described? How is he described? Or how is the king of Babylon described as a morning star, right? Why is he describing it? Because he's a king. He's powerful. It's, it, this, is, this seems to be a different community than simply just angels. It's a, a, a sort of a powerful rank, I guess you would say, uh, than simply angels. Now, the layered structure of a kingdom in the ancient world was a familiar concept. In fact, so if you think about the term pharaoh, it literally means a, a household. It's a, it's a household. It's a household of rulers. That's what a pharaoh is. And why is that? Because you would have this sort of uh, this hierarchy inside the kingdom. A high king, uh, that next blank there, a high king, elite administrators, which were mostly comprised of family. And then you would have low-level personnel all inside this, this kingdom. It would sort of make up your kingdom. So you've got a high king, which would be like Pharaoh, and then you've got some elite administrators that are mostly comprised of family because, let's be honest, you can trust them, right? You think. And, uh, and then you would have some low-level administrators, okay? So this is kind of the structure. So when we see the term sons of God in this kind of context, it doesn't just present to us, oh, angels. No, no, no. This is a family term that is used that God uses of these individuals that are around him a a family term this is part of his if you will household Um, now some Old Testament passages seem to describe the unseen realm in a similar fashion uh, where this singular God uh, stands in the midst of plural a plural gods okay now this is where it gets weird all right so just pause for just a second a singular god standing in the midst of plural gods the word for god in hebrew is elohim okay elohim now what we see is that word elohim applied to yahweh god above all right yahweh elohim but it doesn't it doesn't just apply to elohim uh, to god it also applies to other beings all right, so let's look at Psalm 82, our passage there. Psalm 82, uh, sorry, sorry, Psalm 81, 1 and 6. Um, no, I, that's wrong. It should be 82. I've got 82 in here. Hang on. It's down midway on your page there. Psalm 82, 1 and 6, 1 through 6. Now listen to how this psalm develops, okay? God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Now listen to this. I said... You are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. This psalm is not talking to earthly creatures. It's not talking about earthly creatures. Some people will say that this, uh, that this is what's commonly referred to as the divine council, that next point there, divine council, sometimes it's called the divine assembly um, they're not humans or Jews, like some people would claim. And the reason that we know that is because we get more references to them in Psalm 89. Uh, Psalm 89, 5 to 7. Jump back up on the passage list there. 89, 5 to 7. Somebody read that out loud. So, where is this council? Where are these gods? Where's the location of these? In the skies? The heavenlies? Right? This is not an earthly council that's being talked about here in the text. What's being talked about here is Yahweh Elohim, God the one we come here to worship, right, on a, on, a, on a Sunday, the one we're here to learn more about, there's Yahweh Elohim and then there's other Elohim in his midst that form a divine council. Now, the reason that that's sort of weird is because Lots of alarm bells start going off, right? Surely, surely we've got some alarm bells going off, going, wait a second. That sounds a lot like polytheism. It does, doesn't it? So here's the Bible talking to us about the sons of God, also referred to in Psalm 82 as the divine counsel also in Psalm 82, calling them gods. Psalm 89, then referring to the, this is not human. They they're really are in the heavenlies. There are these uh, beings that are there in this divine council. Strange? Yes. yes. Questions? No. Ha- Would you fill in that last thing for me again on the on the page just before it? The sons of God sometimes are referred to as the divine council, the divine assembly, and they are not humans or Jews, as some would claim. Some would say, "Hey, these sons of God; these are Jews." That uh, you know, they were sons of God, right? Were children of God? They were given the so these sons of God are are Jewish, right? Or they're human in some capacity. But then we go to Psalm eighty nine, and that seems to rule it out out of hand. There's not. That's not what he's talking about, it seems like. It seems like this term refers to some sort of a heavenly council. Um, in fact, so when it comes to, uh, there, there should be, I think, an, uh, some alarm bells going off. Jeff Bell, go ahead. Um, are the sons of God in this passage the same as the Genesis 6 we talked about last week? We're going to get there probably next week. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So if we, if we look at Psalm 82, Psalm 89, and we say, okay, look, these sons of God are, are simply Jews, when we get to Genesis 6, it makes that really confusing. The sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore to them giants and men of renown. And we're, we're, what, wait, what, what does that even mean? I don't know how to think about that. But that doesn't seem like what is depicted in Scripture as sons of God. That doesn't seem to be the way it is. In fact, the beginning passages of Job, you've read the beginning passages of Job, surely, and surely that's kind of made you go, huh? Oh, he's a counsel, and then Satan's there? And then God says, have you considered my servant, servant Job? I mean, surely that's made more than one person go, what in the world is going on there? Okay. But it seems like what the Bible is actually telling us is that, again, this unseen realm has a lot more breadth to it than what we would initially be inclined to think. That it doesn't seem like it's just, well, it's just, a, just angels on this side and demons on that side, and then there's God, and he's above all. It seems like, no, there's a little bit of a hierarchy and a structure there, than, that, more so than we first uh, thought, right? And it seems that Scripture is actually bearing this out and telling us that. But now, the, the reason that I think a lot of people push back, or I think that we would kind of naturally have our hands like this at that kind of way of talking about the unseen realm is because it sounds a lot like polytheism. The problem is, it, it, well, it's not. And the reason that we know it's not is because in this next point here, the biblical writers refer to a half dozen different entities with the word Elohim. So there's a number of references to Elohim that don't specifically apply to Yahweh. First, we need to understand that, that that word Elohim seems to have a much broader definition than simply the creator of the universe who's all-powerful and rules over all. But that word Elohim does describe a species of being. Let's call it that, a species of being in the unseen, unseen realm. So let's take a look at some of these passages here. Um, Oh, and then it said, uh, this last little bit on the note here, by any religious accounting, the attributes of those entities are not equal. So even though they're called Elohim, even though in some cases they're called gods, it's obvious that they're not equal. It's very obvious. So let's, let's go through a couple of these scripture passages here. Um, so let's look at uh, Genesis 2, 4-5. This one's going to be pretty familiar. Who wants to read that one? These were the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So here's the Lord God, Elohim. He's making uh, the heavens and the earth. This is Yahweh Elohim. He is making the heavens and the earth. He's doing a creating a creating work, a creative work here. Now go to Deuteronomy four thirty five. Who wants to read that? To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh is God, there is no other besides him. Okay, so there's separating this Yahweh Elohim. Here's this kind of Elohim He's the Lord is God, there is no other besides him. So w- there's clearly a difference there in Yahweh Elohim and the rest of the Elohim. So let's uh, then we see we've already read Psalm eighty two twenty six. How about Judges eleven twenty four? Will you not possess the khamosh your God gives you to possess, and all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess? Okay. Now how about First Kings eleven thirty three? Genesis thirty five seven. Oh wait, no no first uh, Samuel twenty eight thirteen. Okay. Uh, Genesis thirty five seven. Okay. Exodus fifteen, eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, Who is like you? wonders. Okay. Now, all of these passages that we've read, there's the term Elohim, and it's a pro- it's applied differently. Particularly one that stands out that's sort of weird is the first Kings uh or no no the first Samuel twenty eight thirteen. How is Elohim, how is the word God, applied there? Who is it applied to? Samuel's ghost, right? This is when Saul consults the witch at Endor. And all of a sudden, the witch at Endor, uh, I guess she thinks she's playing games. And then all of a sudden, there's <laughs> Samuel's ghost uh, rising up out of the earth, and it scares the living daylights out of her, Right? And so what, what word does she use? She applies this to a, some sort of a, a, a being. My point is here is that you have all of these uh, references where they use the term Elohim. Not all of them apply to Yahweh Elohim. Some of them apply to pagan gods. Some of them apply to, in, in, Samuel, in Samuel's case, a, a ghost. Um, but would any Israelite especially a biblical writer, really believe that something like deceased humans and demons are on the same level as Yahweh. Do, do they describe them in the same way? No, they don't. So when they use the term Elohim, it's obvious that they're not trying to put all of them on the same level. But that's what happens in polytheism, isn't it? Where we take all of, they take all of the gods, they're all on the same level. They all have different responsibilities and things like this. That doesn't seem to be the way the biblical writers categorize this term that we usually translate simply as God, G-O-D, right? It's, go ahead. Right. But the rabbit hole goes even deeper. (laughs) So yes, you're absolutely right though, right? Um, yeah. So there's no warrant for concluding that uh, the plural Elohim that God, that that, uh, that that produces a pantheon of interchangeable deities. There is no basis for concluding that the biblical writers would have viewed Yahweh as no better than any other Elohim. That's not that's not the way the Bible depicts Yahweh. In fact, we see time and time again besides you there is no other not meaning that there isn't something that we call elohim or something that we call god but simply that there's none like you there's none as powerful as you you are supreme over all things so it's it's clear that they worship one and the rest are not to be worshiped yes does this seem like kind of the broader description that we're looking at here um another thing that we uh, well let's keep going um further the biblical writers speak of yahweh in ways that telegraph their belief in his uniqueness and incomparability his uniqueness and incomparability so we read exodus 15:11 i'll read it again who is like you o lord among the gods who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glorious deeds doing wonders uh, or how about Deuteronomy 3.24? Oh Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? So there's, there, there's this... Um, they're presenting Yahweh Elohim, God, as, as in, incomparable. He's utterly unique and there's none... There's none like him. Now, going back to something that I, I meant to mention a minute ago, when you look at a passage like Psalm, uh, Psalm 82, 1 to 6, you have it on your list about midway down, Psalm 82, um, there's something interesting about the word Elohim that I think we need to kind of keep in our brains. When you, in, in English, we would say, uh, to make a word plural, we add an S, sometimes in uh, I-E-S, you know, to make something plural. In Hebrew, you add an I-M. Im, Okay? So, when you see the word Elohim, it, see, it looks on the surface to be plural by nature. Okay? But the way you know whether it's singular or plural is by the words around it. In Hebrew, you have the plural word Elohim, where it looks plural. And then to know whether that's talking about many gods or one God, you look at the words around it because they will either be plural or singular. So when in 82.1, when he says God has taken his place in the divine council, it's Elohim, the, the words around it are all singular. So we know that the author is talking about a singular God, one God, one Elohim has taken his place in the divine council. But then when he gets down to the very end, Uh, Psalm 82, and he gets down to 6. He said, I said to you, you are God's sons of the Most High. Sons is plural. So we know that he's not talking about the same God that he mentioned in verse 1. He's talking about about something different. So it's significant to think that that there is a distinction between the two, and that's how we can tell. that He's talking about two different groups, right? So we get down to this idea of of, uh, kind of separating polytheism from what is actually presented to us in the scriptures, um, the biblical writers also assign unique qualities to Yahweh. Um, somebody read Jeremiah, passage in Jeremiah 32, 17, should be on the back. How about Psalm 72, 18? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. For the Lord is a great God and a king above all gods. Um, so time and time again, here is this picture that Yahweh is distinct. So the, the, the picture that we get is, um, you, you see there, like, how, how do we think about this? How do we understand this? In the unseen realm, there is a hierarchy. Um, Yahweh possesses superior attributes with respect to all Elohim. But God's attributes aren't what makes him an Elohim. That's important to think about. God's attributes are not what makes him an Elohim. It seems that the way the Bible is using the phrase Elohim is a lot like we use the phrase or the word cat. I have a creature at home who, ha- who is furry and has a tail and he's snooty and never wants you to touch him unless he wants you to touch him, right? Call that a cat, all right? He uses a litter box, okay? Now, if I were to take him over to Africa, out into the Sahara and were to to sub-Saharan Africa and were to throw him out in the Serengeti, he would be there with other cats, right? Would any of those cats fear him? no. They are cat in name only, right? <laughs> he, would, he would realize my version of cat is not that version of cat, right? Here is a lion who by, technical, by technicalities, he, that is also a cat. And yet they are also completely different, okay? Um, so it, it seems like in a very similar way, the Bible is depicting not merely angels, but uh, a rank, if you will, higher than angels that would be considered Elohim. And they're in what, would, what is commonly referred to as the divine council. Yet, the lion stands above them and is cat in name only, right? Okay, so does that sort of make sense? we starting to kind of get a little bit of a picture of what it seems to be is presented. So the Old Testament writers understood that Yahweh was an Elohim, but no other Elohim was Yahweh. He was a species unique among all other residents of the spiritual world. Um, Now, the reason... Go ahead, Blake. Okay, sorry. Uh, Biblical writers were not a person... Oh, that Yahweh could be defeated on any given day by another Elohim or that another Elohim has the same set of attributes. Sorry, I probably skipped that one. Okay, I didn't have that
1: one. Yeah. Or like that. Defeated,
0: defeated. Or on a given day or had the same set of attributes. So this is what separates this idea that's presented to us in Scripture from being polytheism. That's not what is being... We're not called to worship these, like like Christina pointed out a minute ago. We're, we're, and in fact, we're told not to, right? Specifically not to. We're told Yahweh is the only one worthy of worship. That's the only one we should ever turn our praise and attention to. Further, when it comes to the creative work, when it comes to actually creating humanity or the world or anything in it, who is depicted as doing that? It's Yahweh Elohim. These other uh, creatures, these other beings are shouting for joy as he does this, as he lays the foundation of the earth. But they seem to be there. And it, it, there's enough in Scripture, and we'll, we'll dive into even in the next couple weeks, there's enough in Scripture to also separate them from mere angels, from just a mere messenger, that it seems to be another class altogether. Um, okay, so, uh, he, but here's where I think this helps us as we think about, yes, Justin, go ahead. Sorry, I was questioning about, like, is, like, when they say Lord God, mm-hmm. is that something also that's just trying to put him ahead of all the others? I mean, is that, is yeah, God? it 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 depends. In your, in your text, typically in most translations, you'll see the capital L and then the capitalized but smaller O, R, and D. And when you see that, and most, I think most English translations are going to have that, when you see that, he's saying Yahweh Elohim, saying the name Yahweh Elohim. Um, but there are times where he says, uh, Lord God, which it may just be in there, and if it's, not, if it's not that capital designation, then it would probably just be Elohim. Again, I'd have to go back and look and, see, and make sure that that's the case all throughout the Old Testament, but in most cases it would be just the Lord God um, whatever. But but it, it would be kind of trying to put the right one in your brain. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, so, the reason that I think some of this is important is because it starts to make a little bit more sense of a couple of Old Testament and New Testament passages. That there are these beings that are, are have some sort of a divine nature to them. Um, but there's clearly a corrupting element to them as well, right? You remember some of these passages? Look at Deuteronomy 32, 17 in your passage list. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded, okay? Typically, when you read that, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, before I started learning about some of this stuff or started really thinking about it, uh, I would always have read that as like idols, just little statues. I don't think that's what the biblical writers have in mind. I think there are. Uh, you hold them as gods, as idols that are just wooden, but I think they're pointing to something more, right? Okay, wa- keep watching. Okay, Leviticus 17.7. 17, 17, So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they they whore. This shall be a statute forever and for them throughout their generations. Keep going. Look at Psalm 106, 37. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. Okay? One more. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. You're probably more familiar with this one. Paul says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. Um, so we think, about, we think about it as, oh, okay, you've got this idol or this statue, or you, you worship in this other religion, and you're know you you're worshiping this fake god. There's this statue, this idol that you bow down to worship, and it has no power to deliver, and, but it's really it's an inanimate object. And sometimes the Bible even describes it as that but there's paul and some of the old testament writers are pointing to a spiritual reality beyond that wooden statue and they're saying no no they're sacrificing to things but it's demonic that what they're actually giving to is a spiritual force it's possible even that this spiritual being is calling them to make these sacrifices, right? That makes sense? So we talked about a few weeks ago uh, how here's Satan who has angels, right? In Revelation, it says, Satan and his angels fought against whom? Michael and his angels. There's a hierarchy already built there, like you're, you're you're watching it. Satan in command of these angels and, uh, and Michael in command of his angels. Seems like the hierarchy is already set up there for us. They're fighting against one another, and Satan falls. Uh, it, it seems like also what the Bible is kind of leading us to the conclusion is that these statues, some of these angels that are clearly antagonistic against the brethren and clearly antagonistic against God's mission, missional agenda uh, are greatly influencing humanity in some capacity and calling for worship. Does that make sense? The, the rabbit hole goes a lot deeper, and we'll keep going, but I, I kind of wanted to stop there because <laughs> for questions... Yes, Blake. Last two oh, sorry. Uh, uh, <laughs> the Old Testament and New Testament both point to the worship of foreign gods as being more than mere idols. More than mere idols. Did you have the one before that? Uh, I'm sorry. In the unseen realm, there is a hi- there is hierarchy. Um, go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying not to, but th- there's so much going on in my mind right now and I'm trying to I'm trying to distill as best I can. It's it's difficult, so sorry. So right before you said that, I was about to ask that when some of these verses that we read, like in Psalm ninety seven nine, you are exalted above all gods, could that be like referencing like these inanimate idols? I, yeah. Yeah, I I, th- I think it, it, it it's probably speaking more to you're above all things called Elohim. All things called Elohim. Um yeah. So oh. in a similar sense, um the other page when I was talking about like Chemosh and Milk are those in a sense real? I, I do believe so, yeah. I think in, I think there are some cases where a person has a, has a lucky rabbit's foot they bow down to and, you know, it's probably just a lucky rabbit's foot and they're being dumb. But I think in, in, in most cases that the, some of these gods that have been presented in the Old Testament are actually calling for worship. There's actually a spiritual reality behind it uh, of a god that's actually calling for worship. All, uh, Asherah, several of these um, pagan deities. I have no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind that um, what, what um, uh, Islam bows down to is a, is a spiritual force of darkness. I have no doubt in my mind. Uh, I, I, I would even venture to say that probably what Muhammad sees on the Temple Mount that starts this whole thing is probably a real vision. I, I would have no problem saying, yeah, it probably was a real vision. And some of these followers are probably really influenced, and I think what Paul is saying is exactly that. I think if he was talking about Islam today, he would say what they are sacrificing, they're doing to demons, that it's demonic, not just in the sense that demons are like going, yay, this is fun, but actually calling for, yes, worship me, Allah, whatever, right? I really do, yeah. Somebody had a hand up over here, Jen. Yes. Because these are real things interacting with them. Yes. And it's good to know that when we're there, that like the Holy Spirit, you know, supersedes and has power greater than theirs. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. um, I I think it's just a little, maybe just a a tad more complex than we probably initially give it credit for. But yeah, it it definitely is. There is a, it doesn't, like, so if a, if a, If a Hindu or some some person of another religion that's worshiping these gods were to tell me, I know I prayed to Vishnu or whatever and I was healed, wouldn't phase me a bit. Wouldn't surprise me at all that there's powers that are given to them. Now here's the here's the other here's the the anomaly of it all though is uh, you've heard the phrase uh, he's the devil, but he's God's devil meaning that he still answers to the Lord, he still answers to God, um, the fact that Satan still has to ask permission tells you everything about who's in control, right? So it's not just that they have this uh, unbridled uh, power that they can just unleash, but that they're, they're, they still ultimately answer to Yahweh, who is over all things. And so this is not a statement of saying like, hey, here's these, these beings and they're, see, they're called God, so they're, it's this, no, 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 no. The, the, the term God is just a little bit broader, I think, in the Old Testament and how we, def- how we define that term is, is kind of key. And so it helps us to understand a little bit more of the unseen realm. That's all, that's all really I'm saying. But, uh, this is just trying to lay just barely a foundation for us to jump into some of these passages next week. Any other questions? Timothy? Yeah. 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 It's possible just using a, a, a phrase like that. Yeah. But I um, I I definitely think though when we're talk, when we're looking at the Old Testament, you can't make sense of uh, Psalm eighty two and Psalm eighty nine reconciling those two together and make those humans. It doesn't seem like that can be the case at all. Um, now, whether it's, it's, it's whether that's true in the passage of Jesus with the Pharisees, I'm, I'm not sure, but um, I would say uh, right now that that's not what it's talking about in Psalm in, in the Psalms. Um, I like say, well, talk about oh so, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Well, yeah, and, and, and I mean, the, the, even in the seen realm, you know, there's hierarchy to the seen realm you know, not, not just species, but even inside humanity. I mean, you, you see people that are rulers and authorities and powers, and then you see people that are, that serve those rulers and authorities and powers. And then you see people that that really do a, just kind of a, a regular job, right? Like then the, all the way down, we have classes and ranks and things like that, and always have throughout time. And, and so the seen realm has this rank and hierarchy and we seem to want to strip that clean of the unseen realm, but it's not. It doesn't seem like at all the case. And we, we'll will try to make sense in the future of archangels and things like that in, in light of this as well. well seems to be broader. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the rabbit hole can go so deep, I don't want to, you know, I want to kind of just take us a little bit in at a time, and then also know how to get back out. So, <laughs> if that makes uh, yeah, 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 any other questions about this? Hopefully it's not thoroughly confusing so far, hopefully we'll, <laughs> eventually we'll be. do what? Do what? I can't hear him. I can't hear uh, what he said. Hey. The, the Humans and demons. What's after that? Pantheon. Uh, oh, pantheon of interchangeable deities. Pantheon of inter- this is not what he's describing. It's not what the Bible is describing. In pantheon. Okay, so the, the the point, though, I think is, is as, we, as we talk about this, is that what's well-established in Scripture is that um, Yahweh is above all. There's no question about that, and I think the, the Bible testifies to that over and over again. We can rest in that, even if the rest of it gets a little bit more confusing, but I'm hoping that that will actually help. As confusing as it may seem right now, I'm hoping that that will actually help as we dive into some of these other passages that can that have traditionally been very, very confusing and not knowing what to do with and try to make sense of some of those as we get into it in the next few weeks. So, all right, let's pray and then we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for the hard stuff. And even though we wouldn't want to spend the rest of our time there, I'm glad that we can at least talk about it and, um, and maybe ask questions about it or maybe even think just deeper, think in ways that we haven't thought before, um, read passages that maybe we were unfamiliar to us, and um, maybe see things in a a light that we haven't seen before. So I pray that you would help us to make sense of all of this. And Lord, we only want to take what is in your word and and try to make sense of it as best we can. And we want to take it serious, but we need help. We need wisdom. And so if any of the things that that I've said have been in error, just please let them fall away and and forget about them at at all costs. But I pray that as we meditate on these things, that it would instill in us a greater confidence that you are on your throne, and that we can trust you, and that we don't have to fear anything else, um, that we can walk into things, um, though with respect, also confidently knowing that, uh, that Christ has died for us, and we are redeemed, and we're part of uh, your family. And so we're grateful for that. Lord, we thank you for all of these things that you do in us, through us, to us, and in spite of us. In Jesus' name, amen.